Hey, podcast world. Welcome to Waco, Texas. Waco, Texas, home of uh, Dr. Pepper. Home of Dr. Pepper. Home of Magnolia. Yeah, home of some other things. Home of Baylor University. Uh, yeah, Texas Ranger Museum. And home of the FNO InsureTech podcast today. That's right. It's a very exciting day. It is. Both Lee and I are in Waco, Texas. Welcome to Waco, Actually, Rob. we're in Woodway. Well, truth be told. Well, I could throw a rock in it, Waco. So, <laughs> okay. We're right there, other side of the track. Okay. Uh, so, thanks for joining us out there today. We have a great episode with a very interesting, like super smart young woman, Alyssa Hunt from QBE. Yeah, I'm very excited about this one. I think she is one of the smarter people out there, and she is really good at telling stories about what's going on out there. I hope that she's going to be able to bring some of her knowledge of vendor management right. and, and really help help the insurance, you know, insure tech companies kind of know, how do I approach these carriers? We work with a lot of vendor managers now at most yes. carriers. Yeah. And uh, for those of you at carriers are very familiar with that. And Alyssa is an innovator and a risk taker right. and a thinker about all these kinds of things. So it'll be interesting to hear her perspective in particular to do with what's going on in the insure tech environment. Yeah, I think that she'll be able to bring a lot of knowledge. And then, you know, one thing that, that we're going to want to hit on is what is it like to be a woman in a executive uh, spot within a carrier? Mm -hmm. What is that mm -hmm. like? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to hear about that. Right, right. That's exciting. So without further ado, right, let's just get right into it with Alyssa Hunt from QBE. Hey, podcast world. We're here in our interview with Alyssa Hunt. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Rob. How are you? I'm great. You know where I am today? Where? Are you in Texas? I am. I'm in Waco, Texas with Mr. Lee Boyd, who's sitting right next to me. That's true. We are here together. We're here together once again. And where are you today? Right now, I'm outside of Chicago. It's sunny. I'll take it. Oh, really? Yeah, you guys have had a hard winter, huh? We have. It's been tough. I think we're all ready for spring, for sure. Like an old school winter like they used to have. It would have been nice to have been invited to Waco for, for this discussion, though. I'm sure it's nicer there. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, well, you know what? For the Alyssa Hunt number two episode. Exactly. The um, invitation goes out now. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. We'll have to make sure that that happens. So careful what you wish for. Please do. I'll, I'll think of some new material for that one. Please. So, Alyssa Hunt, you are the Senior Vice President of Technical Operations at QBE. That's a big title. What What's that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked, Rob. I've been in this role now since about September of last year, so about seven months. And really, it's taking my prior team, my vendor management team within claims, and consolidating that with enterprise and claims procurement. That organization was actually a global function that we brought back into North America under my leadership. So we've consolidated that and are moving that target operating model forward. It also includes our SIU division, our quality assurance team, compliance for claims, as well as litigation management and recovery services. So I've got quite a wealth of knowledge under my leadership right now. Wow, that's remarkable. So you guys are vendor managers and buyers. 
That's one team. Yeah. Yeah. So I, when I joined QBE just shy of three years ago, I was asked to build out a vendor management function at the time to really support uh, what we call brilliant basics within QBE. It's one of our, our priorities. So we had a number of third party related initiatives that we wanted to implement within the claims organization. And since that time, we have merged with our operations team as well. So under Dan from Zeddy's leadership, we're now claims technology and operations, what we call ourselves CTO. And so as we advanced the CTO target operating model, we looked for ways to also bring operations and claims together under single leadership. And so that's really what technical operations is. It's taking a number of claims support functions like SIU and compliance and recovery, and also some enterprise-wide services. So the procurement function is not only claims, but enterprise as well. So that touches really all key stakeholders outside of the operations organization. Okay, that's great. And we'll come back to talking about more current day in a minute. But we know you or originally became familiar with you kind of through a vendor management role. And that's that's kind of where you came from, right? Historically? It is. Yes. I've spent uh, probably 15, 16 years of my career in various vendor management or procurement type roles. And I also, uh, when I started my career, I got an undergraduate degree in supply chain management. So I've always had a passion and an interest in working with companies, really third-party companies and solutions that organizations need. So in my early years, I really started at Allstate Insurance with no claims experience and was thrown into a number of implementations. And in order to do those successfully, had to really gain an understanding of claims from triage all the way to management roles. And it was a great experience. And since then, you know, I've dabbled in areas outside of claims and I seem to always come back. It pulls you back in, huh? It absolutely does. There's something fascinating about claims. You know, and what's great about vendor management, I've, I've told my teams over the years, regardless of what carrier you're at, you really get the opportunity to work with folks like yourself or Lee, you know, really senior level uh, leaders within the different organizations that you're working right. with. You also get exposed right. to what's going on in the industry because you're tasked with looking at, you know, what's the next latest, greatest tool or service or solution that we need to really bring in-house and explore with our key stakeholders, you know, the different lines of business leaders. So that's another area that's just fascinating to me. You you get that exposure that some of your colleagues don't that aren't, aren't sitting in that role, you know, facing outwards. Right. They have to run the operation on a daily basis and make it go as is today. So they're busy with that, but you kind of get to be out there and explore what's coming, right? as a vendor manager? You do. And I've told people that if you can look at it as you're really, you're running your own business and every day is different. Every day is exciting. If you like working with people, but you like problem solving, you like process, you like data and analytics, then this is a role that, you know, you should strongly consider. I will say I took a couple of years uh, at my prior carrier and was the operations manager there. So instead of, you know, outward facing, I took an inward facing approach. And I learned even more about what it takes to run a claims organization. Yeah, I I have a whole different appreciation now for just how valuable an operations function is to any company. It's not sexy like sales. It's not, you know, as exciting as a vendor management role, but it's absolutely critical. And what's critical about it, though, is just making sure 
you know, you're operating as efficiently as possible to support your internal stakeholders, to give them what they need from a system standpoint, from a process standpoint, to make their jobs as easy as possible. So you're a young woman, but you've been around the industry long enough. You've kind of seen the development of vendor management inside of most carriers. When I started working in insurance and with carriers especially, there wasn't a vendor management organization in every company. Now it seems that there is. Is that correct? Is that a trend that you've seen? Yes, it is. And what, I, what I've noticed the most is that it's gone from a very tactical order-taking role to more of a strategic uh-huh. seat at the table. And, and that's what's exciting about it. But very early on, there was really always a separate procurement function. And then a lot of the vendor management or relationship aspects of the job sat within the different business units or divisions. And you worked in partnership there. And a lot of different companies have tried models. You know, they'll, they'll tend to swing one way and then back the other. But I think a solid mix is, you know, making sure you have people that are technical experts that really know what they're buying, that they know the, the teams that they're supporting internally. So they know almost what to look for and what to ask without being told. And that's really, I think, what earns you the strategic seat at the table. But it's definitely evolved over the years. And it's interesting because vendor management is a discipline if you will, like HR, as an example, has become something that's been very, it's become almost a science and it's very well developed and very built out. There's professional organizations and professional designations. I don't think that vendor management has necessarily as is as far advanced as that. And so what we see on our side is a variety of vendor management styles based on the different carrier from just like what you said, from the order takers of sorts, all the way to the very involved, thoughtful, performance-driving organizations, which is kind of how I would characterize your guys's right. company, is you guys have really, I think, gotten a great handle on it, and your vendor managers help drive performance of your vendors, right? They don't just choose and vet them and then check in with them. They, they help them to succeed. Has that been a deliberate kind of growth? It absolutely has. And I would say, um, I'll hire you to do my next interview for sure. <laughs> oh, you're good. Just wait. Just wait. I think you nailed it. But no, what, what, what I have enjoyed about QBE that I haven't seen elsewhere is that, that we are given the latitude to say, this is something I think we should consider. You know, let's partner with IT. Let's think about a proof of concept. Let's think about a pilot. Let's be a little more, you know, risky in some of the things that we're we're exploring and looking to do versus a really conservative approach that could take six to nine months to to get anything off, you know, off the ground and up and running. And here I just haven't experienced that. We've really been a strategic partner, like I said, and it makes the job that much more enjoyable. Uh-huh. And a lot of that too has to do with, you know, the leadership of the company and their appreciation for what we're trying to do. Yeah. You know, you, you make me think about a lot of the other companies that we work with and I've worked with in the past. And whenever we've worked with the vendor management, a lot of times it is the onboarding, it's the startup, and then we move on to the operations side. But I think that there's a whole different world of continuity whenever your vendor management is able to stay in the onboarding, in the ramp up, in the actual work product to follow up, to see how the new processes are going. And I think that's been a big benefit to QBE to actually be able to follow up and stay on top of it, not just handoff from vendor management to operations, but still be involved. I think it's working great. I do too. And I, I, 
I would be lying if I said I didn't look at your uh, stats right before this call just to understand, you know, how many assignments have we given to you guys this year, right? We don't necessarily have to go over those. (laughs) (laughs) It's fascinating, right? We want to know how the customer is experiencing the service. We want to know what our team is doing well and how we're working with you and what we need to focus on going forward. So. Yeah, I I love that because you're able to say, okay, I'm buying this new software, this new process, this new technology. If we inject it into the operation that 470 is doing, maybe we could improve in this or maybe we could uh, lessen the cycle time. So you're able to look at the entire operation and not just the onboarding, but say, how would this work in already working company? I think that's a fantastic model. Yeah, and I'll tell you with my new role, now that I have QA, you know, under my leadership, I'm able to look at what they have been doing for our internal line of business, as well as what we've been doing with companies like yourself. And we can really see where there's a lot of synergies. There's a lot of areas of opportunity to expand further. So I think that's what's really exciting about the new role. Yeah. And and before we talk about the impact on that and your buying and what, what you see out there in the world and in the world of insure tech, I want to touch on something that's really important to me, and that is, I'm sure people realize that Alyssa Hunt is a senior leader in the insurance business and a woman. Now, that is not terribly common. Would you agree with that? I would say historically, no, but I find a lot of satisfaction in knowing that companies like QBE and others in the industry are, are prioritizing diversity. You know, here it's it's definitely one of our key components of our culture, and I'm seeing that elsewhere. And I think as long as women in in leadership roles realize that they have earned a seat at the table, that they bring their own authenticity to the conversations. It's not about changing, you know, who we are to become a leader, but really bringing what we've learned over the years to that role. I think there's that much more success in it. And I will say, you know, I've made a commitment to all of the women that I work with within QBE that I will support them and coach them and be an ear for them. You know, if they're also interested in leadership roles. And what's interesting is that a lot of times, to be honest, I don't even think about being a woman in claims. I just think about what needs to get done to better the organization. Right. And on the days that maybe it pops into my mind or, you know, I look around the table and I'm, I'm one out of 20, I just remind myself, you know, I've worked hard. I've I've learned a lot over the years and I have something to offer. And and what's really funny is, you know, the story behind that. I'll never forget I was right out of college and I was implementing a new program. And back then we actually traveled from office to office to roll those out to the different claims organizations. And I can remember and being in California and I stood up in front of a room of maybe two hundred adjusters, you know, some EGAs. And they've got 20, 30 years experience. And I had to explain to them why they needed to move from, you know, one vendor to another or one program to another. And they could care less. They were like, who are you? What do you know? Why should I listen to you? And I I had to learn very quickly, you have to have thick skin, you have to build resilience, you have to prove yourself and really, you know, demonstrate that you have earned respect, that you know what you're talking about. So that really taught me some hard lessons. There were a few times early on where... I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to throw up before I got in front of those groups. Um, (laughs) But it it helps me to be, you know, more successful and more confident in what I'm doing today and and every role really since then. Um, Uh But I think a lot of times people just have to face what makes them uncomfortable 
where do they see, you know, a development opportunity and tackle it head on. And they're going to be uncomfortable. I've been uncomfortable in many situations, but I can look back now and, and say it's really made me a stronger employee. Those are just human things, not necessarily issues of diversity, right? Not at all. Absolutely. I mean, just growing up and being strong. I mean, one of the things that I know that Lee would agree, you're whip smart, but we've seen you rise up quickly through your organization in the time that we've worked together. And I mean, it's clear because, you know, you have so much capacity, Right. right? Yeah, I would say the bandwidth that you're able to have, Alyssa, is giant. And that is what has really continued to elevate your status and just the hardworking. I think, you know, the you hit it on the head. You look around and you said, what needs to be done? I'm going to take care of it. That is the sign of a true leader, not somebody who just sits back and waits, but somebody who says, I see an issue. Let me jump in there. I got this. Right. Are you seeing more and more women move through the ranks? We work here at 470. I mean, I've never done a census, but I would say that 50% of the people that work in our facility here are women. At yes, least. I... Are you seeing the same thing on the carrier side? We are, yes. And we actually have you know, a couple of uh, BRGs, some networks, right? And one is uh, WIN specifically that is dedicated to women, but not just women are members of it. It's, it's men too that want to support women advancing into leadership roles. And and I think it's interesting because, you know, if you've taken the Corn Ferry assessment on leadership, there's certain qualities that, you know, they will target. And it is, you know, it's hard work, it's commitment, it's capacity. There's something to be said about leaders that are willing to roll up their sleeves and work alongside their team yes. to do what's best for the organization, regardless if you're a man or a woman. And I, right. I think... You know, if I had to give advice to anyone, it would be don't sit back and wait for your manager to tell you what needs done. If you see an area of opportunity, put the proposal together, do some research, you know, take initiative. And that never goes unnoticed. And I think the more you do that, you know, the more they will come to appreciate, wow, I wish I had, you know, five of you on my team because not everybody's like that. You know, many will sit back, like you said, Lee, and say, I'm going to wait for somebody to say, here's a problem. Will you, you know, do something about it? Lisa VP here. I'm I'm an EVP here, and employees that do that, regardless of who you are, they stand out. Those are the people that we want to include, and it doesn't matter where you come from on the spectrum of color or gender. That's just initiative, which, as a senior manager, you love to have people who are willing to take that. Right, and I think that you can pick that up very early on when working with somebody, or even in interviews you know, throw them on a special project. It, it takes a lot of grit and tenacity. You know, there's certain like characteristics that you're looking for in people because I think you can teach them. The job can't necessarily teach them those qualities. They just have it or they don't. And I think they're fairly easily to pick up. You you're know. gritty. That's a word I would use for you. You're gritty. Yeah. Do you yeah. like that? I, I've that been okay? told that a time or two. Yeah, I use that <laughs> word. I use that word with my teams. Like you need to have a little grit. To get uh, the work done, uh-huh. right? So, yeah. <laughs> so let's let's move on and talk about insure tech. And you have been really active, and we know this because we've had interactions with you guys in the world of insure tech. But you yourself have been very active in getting out there, seeing what's going on, pushing your team to explore, to shop. Give me a minute on what you're thinking about insure tech these days. I mean, take that anywhere. Okay. Well, well. first of all, I will say that it's, it's been an honor, right? Last year, we had a ton of work. 
uh, really around what we called the brilliant basics. I think I mentioned it. And it's, it's about looking at the future and what does QB look like within claims in the next five to 10 years. And we recognized that we needed to put some more rigor and discipline around our digital strategy, specifically in North America claims. We also have a global digital strategy and somebody responsible for that, you know, at the global level. Um, and so we've been really working hand in hand with a colleague of mine, Ted Stuckey. He leads the innovation lab for uh, different digital products and vendors and insured tech companies that are out there. And so what we did is, is we just started researching, you know, who are all the different insure tech companies out there? What are the services that they're providing? We did a number of interviews internally and said, what are your biggest problems? What do you need to solve for? How can we connect all the dots, really? And, and, and if you look at the insure tech space, there's something for just about every problem. Yeah, it's vast. It is. It's vast. And it's, it's the focus. Like, we need to rein in the focus and say... What are my two or three key problems? Let's start there. But Good let's approach. not forget that we need to look at the entire life cycle of a claim from triage you know, to payment. And don't forget the customer along the way. What does the right. customer want? Because the customer is really the one that's going to be making the demand. And if you think about five to 10 years out, it needs to be instantaneous. It needs to be communicated in a way that the customer chooses, right? It's not a phone call anymore. It's their personal assistant that's doing everything on their behalf. It needs to be as streamlined and automated as possible. And you got to really think about when you need a claims professional to step in, what types of claims are they really handling? They're handling the complex, you know, really strange one-off claims. But, but there's going to be so many things that we're going to be able to connect in the future to really walk the claim through its life cycle. And so many of those products are out there. It's just bringing them all together. So, you know, we're in the fun phase of piloting a number of different things. We're looking at how we can automate certain assignments to, you know, third parties and internal colleagues. And then it will be once we have some of the foundation laid, then it's just a matter of time to pull it all together. Are pilots fun? They are fun. They're hard. You have to have the right team. You got to think in short increments. You got to have right. people that are willing to speak out. You need to take some risks, right? Because you got to find a way to loop the customer in, to gather feedback, to say, is this working for you? Is it not? You know, what do you like? What do you not like? And then employees have to be empowered and, and committed. So it's a huge culture shift. You have to have a culture that's on board with change and people that are excited by it, not scared of it. That's one of the most interesting things about your organization is, is that when we first started talking about virtual together, you guys jumped on it. You have a culture that's willing to take a risk inside of, you know, the very risk averse world that we live in. And I must plug that we work very closely with our risk management team before we make any decisions. I mean, that's what's great, okay. too, right? We have a lot of people consulting us throughout the process. So we say, can we do this? Is this, you know, state have any additional regulations? So we're not being clumsy in our approach. We are certainly seeking advice from the right support functions within our organization. But at the same time, we are saying we have to make a change because we are on the verge of a huge tech shift. You know, if we're not doing it, all of our competitors are doing it. Well, you know, I agree with that. And I like your approach to the pilots of, yes, we want to be out front. Yes, we want to try new things, but let's let's make sure we're doing it appropriately. And I can, I can say that I've seen that firsthand where 
yes, we want to do that. Let's check with this group. Let's check with this party. Okay, they came back. Here's the questions. Let's answer the, you know, we need to answer these questions. I love that because it it allows us, anybody who's working in a pilot, whenever you think that far out, it, it allows the pilot to be successful. No matter the outcome, you're at least being successful. So if the pilot proves that the thought didn't work, that's okay. That was a successful pilot because that's what it led to. But yes, I can absolutely, absolutely. say you do that. I think people are scared that if a pilot doesn't work and they have to say, you know what, we need to pull back on this and it's not worth moving forward, that that demonstrates failure. But if you look at the insure tech space and startups overall, like every good, you know, entrepreneur has failed 10 times before he's got one of his successful businesses up and running. So people have to be, they have to be comfortable with the thought of failing from time to time. And what are they learning from that to get better? Uh, I think some of it too that we've learned because last year in particular this year to to some extent as well we've been involved in many 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 pilots and i think there's even degrees of failure that we've learned right there's like you've had partial success but some failure and we've even been involved in pilots that had complete failure and one of the things we really learned from that was is you have to be careful how you do pilots right they have you to do. be structured and and they have to be thoughtful so that you don't let it all get away from you and you end up, you know, with a problem. I think you have to know what you're measuring. Like what does success look like? And I think you have to also frame up what that time frame looks like for the pilot. So, you know, the pilot doesn't just go on for years and years, right? It never moves, moves past the concept into full implementation. Tell me what it's like working with these insure tech companies and culling them and figuring out, you know, I mean, a lot of them have products that are similar. Some are breakout different. I mean, what's that been like? I, I mean, you've probably looked at yeah. dozens. So does it again, like like you were saying, does it start with figuring out what the problem is that you're trying to solve so that it you does. can focus in on certain ones? But once you do that, what's your decision-making process like? Yeah, so it absolutely starts with the problem. But at the same time, it's knowing what's out there and a couple things on that. So we recognize fairly early on that we have a pretty lengthy uh, agreement template that if we're going to do business with anybody, it needs to be you know agreed upon before we move forward. So we, we did partner with the Innovations Lab team to think of what is a more user-friendly approach for startups, right? Because we want to be easy to do business with them. At the same time, you know, advice I would give to certain insure tech companies is to do your homework before you approach a carrier or you accept a meeting with a carrier, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. they're so excited about what they're selling that they come in just raring to go, here's what I can do, here's what I can do without really being able to answer some of the the questions or the problems that, that we're faced. And I've found that the ones that are really good at that have a much better shot of getting their foot in the door. I think when they have taken that time to prepare, it goes a long way. And I think it's listening when they're in that session versus spending all their time selling. You know, And that's what I think I've learned too. When you're on the buying side, if you were to switch roles and being on the selling side, you kind of know what a buyer is looking for. And you can tell fairly early on you know, if they're interested or not. Um, I think you have to be flexible as an insure tech company too in how you approach POCs and pilots. 
because the key is really get your foot in the door with a carrier, especially a large carrier. Once your foot is in the door, you're much more likely to move into full implementation. But sometimes it's that first step, it's the hardest. And build your relationships with I think all levels of employees within the carrier, right? It's very important to have a relationship with somebody at the top, but your end users are the ones adopting whatever that change is. And so they're the ones that are also providing feedback throughout the organization and what's going to make it successful. So those are those are kind of like four things if I were on the insure tech side that I would focus on specifically. So last year, we had the opportunity to put together really our first innovation summit, and it was focused just on claims. What we did is we brought in a lot of our senior leaders in claims and loss control and technology, and we sat them in a room for two days, and we brought in over 20 different insure tech companies, and we gave them cool. 20 minutes each to really sell why we should do business with them, why we should consider them. And, and we committed, and we said, you know, we're going to score everybody Here's what we're looking for at the end of this two-day summit. You know, we're going to commit to a couple of companies to move forward with. And cool. um, I think it was eye-opening for everybody involved. And I think it was also challenging for them because 20 minutes is nothing, right? You really right. have to get to the point. You have to really sell what it is, why you should be working with us. But it was a great experience for me. I feel like that's, I really met a lot of great industry leaders through that event. You know, your summit made the uh, waves throughout the industry. You know, I know Rob and I remember talking to numerous insure tech people who were saying, hey, I'm going to the summit or I went to the summit with QBE and everybody thought it was the neatest idea. And uh, they were all, I don't know what the word is I would use here, but they all, I guess, concerned that it was only 20 minutes. That Can I pitch my idea in 20 minutes? I only get that long. But I think 20 yeah. minutes is enough in most cases, right? Right. To understand if is this something I'm interested in or want. You know, it really is. And if I circle back to the very beginning of our conversation, when you're in a like a chairman or a vendor management role, you know, you will work with companies that will come in and want two hours of your time. And that is really hard to get right. when you want the stakeholders in the room. But if you're a company selling your services, you don't want to just talk with vendor management or procurement. You want to talk with the business too. And so what was different about this event is we had all of the key, you know, decision-making people in the room and they had the opportunity. Now, did the 20 minutes end there? No, we had tons of follow-up discussions with a lot of them. We explored, we did some POCs, some worked, some didn't, you know, and, and we had to also do a lot of homework on our end to pull data together and say, you know what, is this something that we can really do or not? Lee and I were at InsureTech last year and on their app, the conference app, it's really cool. One of the things you could do is you can schedule meetings with people you don't even know. And the culture in that conference kind of encourages that. So, and when you go on the app and you schedule, I think you can schedule a meeting. I might be wrong, but the earliest one is five minutes, 10 yeah, minutes. Yeah, five, I think five, in five or 10 minute increments, five minute increments, because I know you could do 15 minutes. I think you could do 10 and so we scheduled some and we had some 10 minute meetings and you want to know what you can get a lot done in a 10 minute meeting <laughs> sure if can. you're serious, right? If yeah, you skip absolutely. a lot of the chit-chat. BS chit chat, thank you You're welcome. and get down to business, right? So a 20 minute demo is uh, plenty of time to make impact. And like you said, Alyssa, that if you have prepared and you understand the audience that you're speaking to, you know, it's more than enough time. And I'm sure that you found that, like you were saying, the good ones were the ones that were ready for it. Absolutely. I mean, time is money. So, you know, the the fewer meetings that people can have, the better. You getting right to the point sometimes is absolutely what our internal clients want. 
so they can get back to doing their job as well. You know, Alyssa, one question I had for you, whenever you're bringing in these new technologies into the workplace and asking your people or telling your people that, hey, this is a new technology, you need to work with it, here's the reasoning, you know, I would imagine you get pushback from people. How do you deal with those pushbacks or really work towards implementing a new Change process? resistance. Change resistance. Thank you. Yeah, I think, you know, every project, you always seem to have one person that, that resists. I think the key is to really influence a lot of those individuals up front, bring them into some of that decision-making discussion so that they can own it themselves versus it feeling like it's being pushed onto them. I think the more ownership they have and empowerment they have, the more they can be a true advocate, you know, or advisor or, you know, a colleague that folks can go to and say, you know, I have a question, I have a need, I don't know how this works. Because I do think there is such thing as change fatigue. And that's, that's really something that's always on my mind, Mm -hmm. is how much is too much. And are we starting to just, you know, not make any sense, because we're we're sharing too much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's absolutely a concern. And, And again, it goes back to the culture conversation, you have to have the right culture, you have to have the right, you know, type of employee that embraces change. And for those that struggle with it, it's how do you as a manager, or how do your managers help coach them through it, you know, give them that support, you know, don't take the feedback or take the concerns that they're sharing and do nothing with them. How do you close the right. loop on them? How do you show them you're, you're looking into those issues, and you do care about the feedback they're giving? Because if you don't, over time, people will stop providing that feedback. And that's when you know you have a problem. The more vocal, the better, honestly, and especially in in a big project, you, you need that feedback up front. And what's cool is we're doing agile rollouts now. And so it's two-week sprints. These teams are super close. And mm-hmm. they're actually confronting the risks and the mitigations way earlier in the process than you typically would with a waterfall approach. Um, and yeah. so that is a whole nother session, right? But I think our teams have learned a lot about what that agile approach does and the benefits it brings to an organization to kind of flesh out you know, where the opportunities are. So we asked you, full disclosure here, okay? We asked Alyssa to be on a panel that we're doing at PLRB to talk about the future of claims. She passed because if you can believe this, audience, she would rather go to Aruba, is it? <laughs> somewhere like that. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah somewhere like that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a vacation. A beach, a, she'd rather go to a beach in the Caribbean than Indianapolis in March. But uh, that, if you know, Rob, if you would have invited it. me a little bit, if you would have invited me sooner, I would have postponed my vacation for, oh, for PLRB course. for sure. Uh, undoubtedly, you would have. <laughs> Who the, doesn't love PLRB? The, exactly. the point of our panel was to get some smart claim visionaries together and ask them a question. What about claims 2024? What about claims five years from now? Now, I, you know, we're, we're towards the end of our time and I don't want you to, you know, go on and on about it because that's a really big question. But what do you have to say about the future of claims about five years from now? What do you see? What are you thinking from that perch and that much broader perch that you're on now being able to see a much broader span of the organization? What are you seeing for five years down the road? So in five years, I don't know if we will feel as much of a difference, but I think in 10 years, it's really going to be focusing on preventing the loss from occurring. So it's shifting your focus on how do I get better at claims, which we still will need to do. There will always be claims. 
but it's how do I partner with my customers through using their data, through, you know, the internet of things, through telematics, to actually help them avoid a, a claim and a loss from occurring to begin with. That's really where I see the industry going. And again, there's a lot like of things that. out there, right? And carriers facilitating that? Absolutely. I mean, the more data that carriers can get through different telematic devices and vehicles, right? Or the um, self-driving cars that if they get in an accident themselves, they're automatically sending that data to the carrier and, you know, to the insured and automatically we're adjusting premiums or we're you know, sending that self-driving car to a direct repair facility and we're automatically sending another self-driving rental to them to pick them up. Like, it's kind of fascinating when you think about it, but that's, and that's just in the auto space. I think in the, you know, the commercial property space or the personalized property space, every home is going to be a smart home in the future and everybody's going to be using personal assistance. And so again, it's, it's all about the data. You have to be a carrier that can ingest data. You have to have the right data strategy. You have to have the right tech stack and you have to be open to bringing in sources of data easily and, you know, in an efficient and effective manner, right, into your right. what you're calling an ecosystem, because you're going to be using that data to automate process, to make decisions. And then, and really, it's taking, you know, artificial intelligence and machine learning to another level with really deep learning. And that's fascinating just in and of itself. You could spend days just researching what is actually, you know, being tested right now around deep learning. So that's where I see it in yeah. 10 years, roughly. Okay. It's really prevention versus claims. And claims is always going to be an important aspect to insurance. Well, there will still be claims. Always. But, uh, but prevention doesn't stop claims. It prevents them. And like we haven't published it yet, but we had an episode with uh, Gabe Halimi from um, from Flow. Flow. And Flow is a perfect example. I mean, it, it basically, if it detects that there's a water issue or problem, it turns your water off, literally. So yep. that could prevent a water yeah, loss, there's gonna right? Be, right. There's going to be sensors on everything in our home. And if they notice anything out of whack, they're going to send triggers to the homeowner, possibly triggers to the insurance company to say, there may be a possible water leak here. You should probably send somebody out to inspect the home. Oh, I noticed that the insured is on vacation. You know, it's, it's fascinating. Well, we can't thank you enough for your time and your enthusiasm. Isn't that right, Lee? Very much so. I love this conversation. Thank you. What do you say to Alyssa? Thank you, Alyssa. <laughs> Thank you guys for the opportunity. It's been, well, it's been a pleasure. It's great to have you on and, and we'll ask you a question. Would you come back and sit with us again? And maybe we could focus in on some of the specifics. Today was kind of a survey of it all. But maybe we can focus in on some of the specifics in the future. What do you think about that? I think that would be great. I'd be honored. You just have to invite her quick it, enough. Only so in Waco. To to Waco. Exactly. Waco. No, no. Oh, that's already been established. We already know the location. Yeah. We oh, know yeah. it's not. Yeah. Well, and I'll just say this, not to be catty, but we know it won't be Indianapolis. Okay. I'll be really disappointed, but yeah, I think Waco will do. Send us pictures. <laughs> well, we thank you so much. Thanks, Alyssa. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Wow, Lee, that woman is smart. She is very smart. I like visiting with her on that one. Mostly listening. Uh -huh. I, I really listened to a lot of that one, but she had so much to say. I just really enjoyed listening. Very to well spoken. Oh, yeah. I mean, just a fountain of information. I hope that our listeners in the insure tech world take particular heed to her 
to some of the stuff that she had to say. She had great advice. Yeah, I mean, she is she has interviewed so many insurtech companies and and IA companies and different vendors within the world of insurance. You know, I really enjoyed the one thing that she said was that the insurtechs need to take time and listen. And it made me think about different times that I've interviewed insurtech companies and they come to me and they tell me what the solution is before they even found out what the problem is. Right. And I think that is a very important takeaway for not just InsureTech, but anytime you were talking to a new client, sure. listen to them. In sales in general. In sales in general, talk to them, ask the questions, find out what the needs are. And that's exactly what she's saying. And do the homework. In fact, we have a conference coming up that we're going to in a few weeks for PLRB. And one of the things that our team decided to do was not just to set appointments, right. but to instead of just setting appointments, to first ask the prospects or the existing customers, what's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? What are you shopping for? What are you thinking about? Right. Let's use each other's time really effectively yeah. and work towards something that's meaningful Right. instead of just talking. You know, Alyssa said time is money. And that's something that we all especially at a very busy conference, whenever there's numerous meetings and trade shows and, and classes to go to, just because you have an hour doesn't mean that we need to spend the entire hour. There are times that our clients might want to really get to the meat of the conversation. So let's ask, let's be thoughtful in our interactions and really answer the questions that they have. Right. And like she said, what they do when they're thinking about insure techs and internally is that what she did first is she went out to the different organizations inside of and the different verticals and silos inside of the organization and asked, what are the problems that you're having? Right. And it's just like what you just said. First, you identify the problems. Right. And then you shop for the solutions. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot, and you, in your position mm -hmm. at our company as the VP of innovation, you have solutions coming at you all the time. Yes. Sometimes they don't have a problem. That, we don't have a problem that to solve. Yeah. And, you know, especially early on, whenever I started here, I didn't really know a lot of problems. I didn't know that carriers had certain things that they wanted, you know, us to help them out with or to look at or, or research. I just didn't know any of that. So I was just looking for solutions and I didn't have a problem. Now there's always these problems. And I say, where can I find the solution so I can go mm -hmm. back and find things? But you first need to build a roadmap. And in this scenario, it starts with what am I trying to fix? Right. Ali Savavi in that episode that we had, he talked about how sometimes solutions into insurance are a pivot, that they're in a, a technology that was right. developed. Maybe they were thinking it was for something else, but it pivoted over to insurance when they learned that the problem exists someplace else. Right. You know, you could take Hover, right? They were doing a certain thing and they pivoted mm -hmm. and now they're in this insurance and, and construction right. world. When they right. They pivoted markets, else. not yeah. necessarily products. Exactly. Right. Markets and really at clients and who they're selling to. But you have to be able to do that. And we encourage all of our insured tech listeners to be nimble, to ask the right questions, mm -hmm. to find the problem mm -hmm. and then bring the solution. Yeah. And the other thing that I just want to touch on before we go is what she sees in five years from claims. And I loved her answer. And that was prevention. Right. You know, I, I thought it was interesting that she said it's not just five, you know, we'll see some change, yeah. but really 10. Right, right. And, and claims this always be there. This is where it's heading. This is where it's heading. And I think that's so true because I look over the past two or three years 
and it is a slower pace than we originally thought three years ago. So I have no reason to think it won't be, but prevention is huge. Whenever we talk about flow and all of that, the adoption rate may be slower. It may be more than than what I thought it would be, but it's still slow within a giant industry here. But the prevention is really where it's going to be. And I couldn't agree with her more. Well, another episode comes another, to an end. Another one, another one down. Uh, another one bites the dust. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that went, so I didn't say it, but <laughs> I appreciate you ending it that way. Well, you know, some people consider you the Freddie Mercury of this podcast. You know, I actually was on an airplane not too long ago and I watched the uh, Bohemian Rap. That guy was amazing. The, uh, yes, the guy who won the, the Academy Award. Oh, yeah. Woo! I yeah. highly recommend you see that show. If mm-hmm. you haven't seen it yet, that's a great show. And everybody should stay tuned to our next episode, which is uh, 470 Goes to the Oscars. <laughs> well, you just never know where the world's going to take us, right? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for being with us today, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.